My name is Steiger. Hi, I'm JP. And I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Steiger, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? I just got my flu shot today, so I am plugging flu shots. You're not even sure whether it worked, and you're already you're ready to go. I know. It's, it's such a gamble every year, and yet I go in hopeful every time. Yeah, I mean, I get it. Like, you're excited about the new thing. Yeah, I updated my firmware. That's right. That's, <laughs> oof, oof. That's <laughs> the thing I'd be least excited about. More patches. My my TV patched itself today. Oh, boy. Super pumped. Uh, and, and JP, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Yeah, I'm JP. I, uh, I guess I make video games and probably do other stuff. I did laundry earlier today. Um yeah, me too. Yeah, I don't think I do have anything to plug. No. You're not going to plug laundry? You're not excited about it? I'll plug the concept of doing the laundry. It's pretty good, yeah. Yeah, what did people do before they, they just got, they sewed new clothes every day before they had laundry? Yeah, or they went... Uh, There's no clothes. They went waiting in bogs, perhaps. <laughs> or, uh, sure. Just let we, that... We got to do this until someone invents laundry. Yeah. Back in the bog. Waiting around for laundry to be invented. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was something that it was like, oh, yeah, like chimneys were invented in like, I mean, in Europe, at least. It's quite possible that other folks had figured, had their shit figured out way sooner. But yeah, like in Europe, chimneys were like an 11th or 12th century thing or something. Yeah. And before that, I guess just the smoke got it just you would just be in a building with smoke and just gather there just and horrible everyone would die of smoke inhalation or yeah man i don't even know yeah that's not a very concrete fact that like yeah i i barely remember this probably it. happened that might have been from what was the the neil gaiman show oh it was it was the um it was the episode of uh the sandman series where he catches up with the same, he makes a guy immortal and catches up with, and has a beer with him every once every 100 years. Uh-huh. And he catches up with him, like he initially meets him, you know, back in like the 11th century or something, just, you know, the dark ages. And then he meets him a century later and the guy's like, stuff is going really good. We we invented this thing called chimneys or something. I don't know. Yeah, it was just a, <laughs> just a cute little story moment. It's like, oh yeah, like we don't think of the Middle Ages as being like innovative, one of thrilling technological leaps. But uh, but yeah, you know, chimneys pretty good. So I yeah. mean, if if this guy's over thirty, like chimneys should be terrifying. Like the new exciting new thing is like <laughs> what what is what is happening to my life? Yeah. Yeah, all all these kids who love the, love gathering around the chimney. What's what's their deal? Yeah, nothing good. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Are you? Nothing good will come of these chimneys. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Are we uh, ready to start on the topic? I'm good. JP, your topic is this is a topic for me. Thank you, JP. Your topic is wouldn't mind hearing Jim's thoughts on the most recent Super Mario Brothers Wonder video. Do you mean the um, the Nintendo Direct? I guess that's what that was. Yeah. Let's hear your thoughts thoughts first. Well, I I don't I don't have nearly as many Mario opinions, but um yeah, it, I don't know, it seemed cool. Yeah, like I folks sort of in my social horizon online were uh, were just kind of pointing out that the the animation for uh some folks were saying that this was like the first Mario game that really seems like it's taken all of like the the good principles of like 2d animation and captured it in 3d fully you know there's just all these nice little like just all these nice little transition animations like when mario pops out of a pipe and stuff um 
I, this was back when 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 Wonder was announced, like however long, like I think that was earlier this year. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, and they and they were they were pointing back to footage of like possibly kind of unfairly of like the DS Mar- the the new Super Mario Brothers, you know, and basically like the the earlier attempts at a two point five D Mario game as being like, ugh, that stuff really looks pretty bad, and like it, it doesn't look great by modern standards. You I know? think it looks fine. Like yeah, it's, it, yeah, but also it's not an, really an unfair comparison because as far as I could tell, they didn't change the animations at all. In the entire new Super Mario Brothers series. Yeah, by the time it got to, yeah, like, I forget when the most recent entry in that series was uh, released. But yeah, it, it seemed like it seemed it like, like they just kind of 2011, I think. Yeah, like the format of, of those games was just kind of set. And then, uh, yeah, and so Wonder seems like it's, you know, it's just an entirely different thing. It's yeah. And so, it, yeah, it, audiovisually, it looks like it's really going to be one of the, the coolest looking uh, when I was as I was watching like the new direct or just yeah whatever that the the footage of it that they released recently i was like this kind of more than a lot of other mario games is one that you could send back in time Mm -hmm. to 1986 to a kid who's just playing super mario brothers on the nes because like if you sent like mario odyssey or like a particularly mind-bending level of mario galaxy or something (laughs) that kid's head would just explode yeah the the kid would die um yeah that would be murder yeah, yeah, murdered by with Mario footage. Whereas you could show them Mario Wonder and they would kind of be able to process it more. Yeah, it's would be like this is basically just, There's a through line there that's pretty clear. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it really is. That's I I think, you know, like I mean, that's that's almost like Nintendo's whole deal is like, you know, there's that there's that uh there's that old piece of Legend of Zelda box art or manual art or something that's just like you know, squat little uh, anime link from like 1986 from like the original or 87, the, the original manual. And he's like looking out over this landscape from like a cliff and there's like Death Mountain in the distance. Right. And so at the beginning of Breath of the Wild, when you emerge from the from the the cave of resurrection or whatever, and that shot where the title card comes up. It's like it's reaching into everybody's like everybody old enough, you know, people our age, right? Into like the gamer psyche and being like, yeah, you remember seeing this illustration and how it like kind of sparked your imagination, but the actual game you had to like, you know, you had to bring that to the actual game and kind of like use your imagination to make, you know, a top down 2D tile based world kind of feel feels like something like a grand adventure you're looking out over a landscape or whatever. They've just kind of always done that, you know, where they'll sort of like build on on imagery that's kind of already familiar. I don't know. Yeah, I'm kind of going all over the place with this. But um, yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing that really struck me was that um, it just like they have like that whole progression concept where you're like unlocking badges. I think that's what they're called. And you can like play the same level with different badges. And it's you basically have like a totally different character or something. That's sort of an interesting right, yeah. power up, and I, I think I was I was pretty excited by the. I didn't expect to be. I had the same reaction that everybody else did to the the original trailer, which was that like they've taken their time and they've figured out like how can we actually iterate. So th- th- like they had made four of those games, the new Super Mario Brothers games, and like the first two of them sold like twenty thirty million copies each. So you can understand why they were like, yeah, let's just do that again. Yeah, yeah. Well, and those were on the DS, right? The first one was on the DS. The second yeah, one was on the Wii. On the Wii, yeah, yeah. And, and both, then, both ridiculously well-selling platforms. Yeah, the third one was on the 3DS. 
And the fourth one, which came out like six months after the third one, was on the Wii U. It was on Wii U, yeah. And those two didn't do, do nearly as well. And then they were like, okay, let's wait 12 years or whatever. Turn, let's turn off the fire hose of <laughs> right. 2.5D Mario. Uh, but like they – I mean I would have loved to see them go even further afield in terms of both appearance and gameplay. But I think this is an interesting – this is going to be an interesting Mario game. Yeah. And then I was watching the Direct – and like the first two thirds of it are pretty like by the numbers. Like you, know, you get some new suits, you yeah. know. <laughs> like, yeah, and they're like, look at our ice level, look at our lava level, and right. whatever. And it's like, okay, but the sure. badges thing is pretty interesting. Like I'm looking at this video right now. Like there's, it gives you a grappling hook. Like one of them does. Yeah, that's that's wild. Yeah, Mario with a grappling hook. <laughs> and then, but later on, there's this thing. That appears where it you see ghosts in the background, like in Dark Souls, and these are other players in the world who are yeah. in the same part of the world as you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is really cool, and it also which also allows you to like interact with them in minim in like in simple ways. Like you can apparently give them items. Yeah, and they're like so it's basically like an asynchronous co op partner sort of thing. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it seems like it's a good balance of like okay, it's the traditional stuff. And it looks like the the most whiz bang version of Super, mm -hmm. of Super Mario One that you've ever played. Also, we brought some freak shit, you know, out, <laughs> and you can yeah. turn into an elephant. Everybody, like, yeah, just everyone. That they turn made into a an point elephant. of showing, like, yeah, like, okay, yeah, look, elephant Daisy, elephant Toad, all your faves uh, are elephants now. Right. That was cool. And then also, yeah, just like some kind of just interesting design stuff that you know, like you know, the, the, the elder design lords of Nintendo sort of like, you know, have spent some time with, and it's probably like an, in, a pretty interesting implementation of an idea that, you know, isn't like completely new or anything, but yeah. Oh yeah. What does that mean in a Mario game? So yeah, that's all, that's all pretty cool. Design Lord tangent. <laughs> I remember seeing a, a tweet like six months ago, and I don't know if I know if, I don't know if this is true or not, but it was positing that one of the reasons that Nintendo's design sense is so strong is that they've had the same people working on these franchises mm -hmm. for 40 years. Yeah. Yeah. Consistency. Which doesn't happen in this country. No, absolutely yeah. not. And yeah. notably, like, Nintendo doesn't treat its employees well. They just don't lay them off. That's that's <laughs> right. all it takes. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. No, yeah. I've, I've, I've heard similar things uh, with regard to like, you know, just them hanging on to folks like, yeah. The, and that some of the people on Breath of the Wild had worked on Zelda games back on into the 90s. I mean, besides A.G. Anuma and, you know, right. like the, the director level folks. No, it's 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 cool. Yeah. And I don't know. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like I've heard, you know, like a couple of things out of Nintendo lately that are sort of a little more acknowledging of dev quality of life. Mm -hmm. I mean. I'm I'm always really curious about that because obviously the, the, we get a lot less day to day sort of information about the Japanese game industry. So like, yeah, and like, yeah, I, I I'm not I, I don't like speak regularly with anybody who's bilingual and works in game development in Japan. You know, yeah, I mean, well, the the whole Current, like who is currently doing that. The thing that that I always think about is how God, I can't remember exactly. So I'm, I might be making up a noun here. I think it was Yuji Naka's – someone was asking like Yuji Naka's daughter like what her dad was like and she said, I don't know. He wasn't – he was never around. God, yeah. Like not not oh, even yeah. on nights and weekends. Like she just never saw oh, him. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I assume that any Japanese game dev and, and, a, and a fair number of Western game devs obviously to be fair uh, 
who who were working in the in the eighties and nineties just worked like demons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. So yeah, it's a bummer. Uh, part of the unfortunate mythology of the industry is that yeah, like you know, they made some pretty cool stuff, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, this is a this is a, a something that we're I think we're going to continue to grapple with as a culture is like how do you deal with great art made out of shitty conditions? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. 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 Not even by shitty people per se, just like these people killed themselves to do this. So it, that really sucks. And you don't want people to, you know, and particularly when like you're, you're sort of, you know, because new creators model that stuff, they're like, yeah, like manga artists in Japan, you know, some of them absolutely unambiguously worked themselves into a, into an early grave and they produced some of the, you know, some of the towering works that everybody aims for. So it's like, yeah, how do you, almost like transitioning off of fossil fuels or something it's like okay (laughs) we gotta like yes we can get to the moon by burning down half the amazon rainforest but how do we how do we do it more sustainably so that we can actually be still be doing this a hundred years from now and we haven't just you know burned out every single person who knows who has this skill set right the other nice thing is that you can play as peach Mm-hmm. In all of the new super, actually, in the first, in the first one, you can only play as Mario and Luigi. But the other ones, the ones with four-player co-op, the four players were Mario, Luigi, Toad, and then uh, Toad again. Toad again, like yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, just dual Toads, which right. was still a thing in this trailer. They're like Toad and other Toad, and Blue Toad like, doesn't get a name. Well, no, I think they referred to like sort of the this, the kind of like default least dis- distinguishable. <laughs> Toad as Blue Toad, and then there was Toadette. Yeah, I think well, just... Toad and other to- like. Okay, so there was just... it stuck out with me. There was like... Toad, no modifiers. <laughs> but yeah, now you can apparently you can play as Daisy and Peach and Toadette, yeah. and it's it's yeah, a exciting. super cool. To you see. know, w- w- which means that like they had to come up with a new plot other than Daisy got kidnapped again or Peach did mm-hmm. or whatever you. Right. Yeah. Which is now. why, yeah, it's like, okay, Bowser turns into some sort of Unicron like being. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like they're on some kind of like ambassador trip to another kingdom. Like they're not in the Mushroom Kingdom. Yeah. They're in like the Leaf Kingdom yeah, yeah. or something. And yeah, then so Bowser's it, like, I want some of that. Yeah. And so then, they have a castle that they can fuck up. Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. The, the rumor that I heard was that um, it was Mike Micah's mod of donkey kong amazing because his daughter wanted to play as pauline mm-hmm. oh yeah 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 and so it, he just did like he redrew the the mario character using pauline's appearance and redrew mario the pauline using mario's appearance and it, it kind of made the rounds on the on the, the viral internet of the day and the rumor is that this was why uh super mario 3d world had they brought back peach as a playable character mm-hmm. oh that's awesome yeah which is entirely plausible, I think. Yeah, I feel like anecdotally, I've heard like many stories of like game dev has a daughter, and then suddenly, yeah. perspective. Well, yeah, all of a sudden, they want to make slightly different video games, and good for them. Yeah, having having a kid has definitely affected the games that I make mm-hmm. thematically. I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. I've I I, I took a hard turn on games with combat in them like and it, i didn't realize it was happening at first like th- this happened like the year the doom 2016 doom i guess Doom parentheses 2016 yeah yeah that yeah. doom came out i got that doom i was like oh great the new doom i'm gonna love this and it was like but i don't want to kill all these demons yeah i don't want to like <laughs> twist an imp's neck off you know like, right, right yeah that's gross 
Yeah, it definitely, yeah, it went in for, like, the fatalities. They more humanoid in that game. They're just kind of, like, rowdy boys. Yeah, they got got a personality, yeah. Right. So this was before Winston. So this was, like, something that was happening already. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where, like, I just... It turns out violence is gross, and I don't want to play games about it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, AAA games absolutely like yeah i i just don't like the sort of aesthetic values of triple a violence is like okay i don't want to use real world guns and shoot people you know like obviously i i I still play doom and stuff but like doom feels like saturday morning cartoon Mm -hmm. levels of violence and i could see that mechanically it's so arcadey that it's like i'm i'm basically yeah and like you know my old comparison it it feels like robotron but in but in 3d it's like yeah like that's a level of combat that i can that i've internalized enough that i can you know i can kind of deal with it and like you know i mean yeah also like the graphical fidelity like i don't know like it's literally pixelated it's not hyper real the way some like more modern yeah yeah. games are yeah it's not uh you know because yeah people were definitely talking about the new mortal Kombat is like Mm -hmm. oh yeah like some of the artists were traumatized looking at like real life you Mm -hmm. know atrocities happening to people and animate and it's like yeah no that's yeah that's that's too bad i i would have assumed that like anybody working on mortal Kombat would be way into that shit Yeah. yeah Yeah, whereas, you know, back in the day, like, Mortal Kombat just, was, it's like... It's a matter of self-selection, you know? Just mm-hmm. just big globs of ragu flying out of pixel men, you know? Right. Out of rotoscoped pixel men. Right. I was, talking to, I was talking to somebody on Mastodon recently about how, like, I think that's why the story of Mortal Kombat got less campy. Yeah. Was that, like, it, it, it got more re- realistic, I guess, to match the more serious, to match the more serious art. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, you know, and also, I mean, that that was over the course of the 90s and just so many things about video games got more and more gritty and detailed and serious and violent and all that. I mean, that that was just the trajectory of so many games in the 90s. And it's pretty unfortunate, you know, like it, it, you know, and that continued into the 2000s and just sort of mainstreamed more. And then violence kind of like became part of just like the default texture of a high budget video game experience and that is where i got off the train very decisively i'm like (laughs) this is not this is not what i want to yeah and yeah it was a combination of me getting older and also just i mean also just like as a game designer i was just sort of like dealing damage to things is no longer interesting to me by default Mm -hmm. oh yeah i think for a great majority of people it is Whereas yeah. I, I did it enough in the first, like, you know, I guess 30 years of my life. Yeah, yeah. I, I've got, like, two separate kind of lines of thought here. One is that, like, it's maybe – and I, I don't want to go too too hard on this. I would say, like, it's like making a game about violence is immoral, like, in the but, – but not, like, super immoral, just kind of, like, immoral, like, put, leaving your gum on the sidewalk maybe. <laughs> but it's also just boring. Yeah, it's tedious. Yeah. I was, you know, the game design perspective that I was coming from was like, okay, this thing has become kind of like an unconscious creative decision on the part of a lot of teams out there. Mm-hmm. And also it's become, you know, as sort of the the thinking of the market, you know, as we came out of the 90s, you know, and games became bigger business and projects had to get more and more conservative creatively and stuff. It's like, okay. We have to stick to gameplay that we know works. Yeah. Well, the last time we really did anything innovative or interesting, it was with guns and swords and stuff like that. 
So we're going to stick with that. And there's just, and so like the, the sort of evolutionary dynamic range of, you know, AAA games, I think, you know, because the sort of indie movements of the 2000s and whatever were sort of a reaction against that. And they were like, yeah, what if you actually just still held on to like cool puzzle stuff or platformers or just vibes based exploration or whatever. But um, yeah, like, so I think the boringness of violence is it's at the level of creative decision making in games. A lot of times it's like we, you didn't think about what this violence means, really. It's just sort of there because it's what's expected. I would say that those sort of like creative uh, irritations with it set in for me, even before this, the sort of violence became, you know, distasteful in and of itself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I I think there are some uses of violence in any art, in any kind of art that aren't immoral per se, you know, I mean, unless, you know, I mean, well, morality is, you know, it's a subjective frame really. But um, I mean, I think, I think it's like, yeah, what kind of, what are you saying about the world and human experience with your depiction of violence? What are you saying about the act itself? Because my my problem with war, you know, like the, the thing that I've I've really gotten increasingly hardline about over the past 10 years is when games depict realistic present day modern warfare, that shit just ends up being fucking propaganda. Even when it's like even even if you do your best even when it's anti-war even when it's like this sort of like oh look at how much war psychologically disturbs you and all this kind of stuff like i i just like because at the end of the day they're still plugged into this whole triple a design tradition where they're like look uh you can quick reload and look pop up behind cover oh look get close to the guy and perform a finishing move or whatever it's like you are saying that war is awesome and to it doesn't be marketable. Matter. The game has to be fun. It has to be enjoyable and the yeah. player has to feel like a badass. And and like a very narrow range of fun too. You know, it's like, yeah, it's, it, it's this sort of like, this is the range of allowed experimentation and, you know, and yeah, and that stuff is, you know, just sort of like the play aesthetic of that stuff is all about fun. It's not about like, this is difficult and that's kind of saying something thematically. It's like, no, it's pure fun and by saying that current day realistic warfare is fun, that I think is like genuinely immoral. I think that that makes the world a worse place in a small way, yeah, um, more agree. so than just like dropping gum on the sidewalk or whatever. And <laughs> that the people who are working on that kind of stuff, I mean, I know that the industry sucks and that you kind of take whatever job you can, but like, I think the people who who work on that kind of stuff need to reckon with it because... Yeah, you know, you have a choice of 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 what you make, and you know, we're just going to keep making this garbage uh, that makes the world worse forever if we can't like find new ground creatively and different parts of human experience to mm -hmm. to to capture with our work. It's up to us. <laughs> I'll, I'll my my job is going to be just complaining about violence in video games until everybody agrees. Yeah. That's, that's how I'm going to handle it. Well, I, I think that this kind of objection is, is really, you know, I think, I think that the sort of like knee jerk reaction to this kind of criticism is like, you're carrying the same torch that Jack Thompson did. You know, you're, you're, you just want to like censor anything. But I mean, the, the reality is that like the status quo of video games normal like doom was shocking once upon a time it was like doom and mortal Kombat were totally shocking once upon a time and then by about 10 years later 
that stuff was just completely normalized. That was just <laughs> default video game stuff. And it was obvious. So obviously it had absolutely no novelty whatsoever to it anymore. You know, and I feel like that that earlier, like sort of, uh, you know, culturally conservative, like religious moral panic kind of thing was much more about like that initial reaction of shock. And at the point that it's no longer shocking to us culturally, you know, because people, you know, uh, you know, cultural depictions of violence outside of games have also completely changed in the last 30 years. So, yeah, I mean, I think this is, yeah, like you have to sort of hold it differently as like kind of a more like sort of an adult principled, you know, from within the medium. Like yeah. you're we're, you're a working game designer and you're saying, I think we have a responsibility to do something different and better. Yeah, my uh, my my argument might be that like Jack Thompson was arguing that we shouldn't be allowed to make games like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think we shouldn't want to. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, like <laughs> we've covered it, you know. It's yeah. like I, I I want to see the medium grow and expand forever. Uh, you know, because human experience, uh, you know, is is essential is effectively infinite. Um, so like the fact that we're like, yeah, saying the same shit about this same stuff. Yeah, like the default verb in video games should not just automatically be shoot or punch because it's been like that for decades. But what about throwing a cobweb? <laughs> it's good. Yeah, it's I mean, pushing something up there. I mean, yeah, and honestly, like, right, even th- that's the thing. Like, we've seen. I mean, uh, you know, Portal. To pick a random example, Portal, mm-hmm. one of the more you know interesting novelty, you, you know, novel design things of the last like fifteen years, I guess. Six. It's about sixteen years now since the orange. Oof. Um, Oof. But yeah, like you know, yeah, Portal was like okay, F- sixteen years since the last innovative video game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah like you know th- that portal like clearly wasn't like it wasn't treading too far beyond yeah it's a puzzle platformer and it's using a first person shooter interface that's not that big a leap yeah yeah exactly yeah but it managed to like excavate some interesting creative territory you know both in terms of game design and in like the kind of stories you can tell with it, you know and it's like yeah that's all that's all you got to do just reach a little bit for like a different thing you know yeah. like i love me some splatoon which is in many ways like built like a shooter but it's not the focus of the game at all it's much more like even when you're playing competitive it's somewhat cooperative and like it's all about like the art and like youth culture and music and like it's it doesn't feel like a violent game even though you're doing a lot of the same yeah kind of shoot well, and it run around. Yeah. And I mean, the thing that I've been really impressed with Splatoon, just like as a design pitch is like, because they took a decisive step to the left with their, you know, they're like, okay, we know shooting gameplay, you can do a lot with it. But if we take like a decisive step to the left in terms of like our subject matter, all of a sudden you're covering the world in paint and now painted surfaces become significant. Yeah. And there's no Towards- analog. There's no analog to that with like just real world guns. They, they 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 basically found something right nearby that was less boring, you know, in a lot of respects than just shooting a gun and it deals a little bit of damage to the wall or a person. Yeah, like instead of destroying something, you're making it additive and Yeah, 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 you're like painting the environment and like oh, and yeah, you can move through that painted area and become it affects traversal. There's opportunities everywhere and Yeah. Uh, so that was Super Mario Brothers Wonder. Yeah. <laughs> Are we ready for another topic? Sure.
Uh, Steiger, your topic is souls departing slash cartoon ghosts. This is honestly kind of like tangential to the like video game violence where I feel like I don't remember what made me think of this topic. I had it in my notes from like after the previous topic lords I was on, but just I feel like it's a conceit that's used a lot in like video games and cartoons where like you'll just see the soul leave the body of something. And I feel like it's frequently used as like a hand wave to kind of cover up that violence has happened. But in many ways, to me, it seems way more explicit. Like, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's toast. Yeah. That, yeah. There's, <laughs> there's no reversing the whatever. Character's soul is departing their body. Yeah. Yeah. Even if the. Oh, I can't. I can't finish the joke because I can't remember the name of the Doom enemy that resurrects. Oh, even yeah. even oh, if yeah, that thing vial. comes by, the archvile. Yeah. yeah, that thing. That guy's not getting up. Yeah, the archvile unfortunately cannot resurrect your Pikmin uh, <laughs> <laughs> because the souls have left them. Yeah. Well, yeah, and in, in in Doom, there's 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 some exceptions to to what to to who the archvile can, can resurrect. Yeah. So, like, if a creature dies in a doorway and the, and the door comes down, <laughs> it turns them into a into a squished blood paste sprite. The archvile <laughs> cannot resurrect the monster from the blood paste sprite. So, yeah, even there, so yeah, yeah, they're they're gone. They're toast. I mean, that might actually we're be the opposite the because maybe they're saying. Well, the archfile puts the monster's soul back in, oh. but in this case, yeah, the, that body the, the monster's sure. body is too damaged. It's just a puddle of goo now, and it can't really do much with a puddle of goo. Whereas, yeah, if the if the soul is already left, that's a different. And I think that's, that's the other like, thing yeah. about like the cartoon soul. It's like it's already implying like a level of metafiction to to wherever. It's yeah, it's used. telling you. Yeah, yeah. It's like, there's an afterlife. Yeah, right. I mean, your your concrete reference point for this is Pikmin, right? My comp- like, yeah, little, most little recently, yes, out, I've, yeah. I had played through Pikmin 4 recently and their little souls just leave their body. And I think I I was like a latecomer to the Pikmin series. I did not play the original games. And then I played the demo for three and it just felt very violent to me. Like I bounced off that demo, even though oh, just because it's like it's it just kills your Pikmin, right? It just yeah. I guess I don't I don't even remember. It's been enough time that I don't remember exactly. I just emotionally I remember that I, <laughs> I was like I'm good, for... thanks. No Pikmin yeah, yeah. for me. And so when I I played the Pikmin four demo, I went in very with like a lot of trepidation, being like I didn't. Is this the I game didn't... where you watch more little creatures yeah. die? But then like I ended up really enjoying. <laughs> yeah. it. Well, yeah, my uh, my my old friend Brendan Sinclair, uh, yes. when when Pikmin Four came out, he 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 linked a a piece that he had written uh, almost exactly ten years before for the launch of Pikmin Three, where he was saying like I forget what war movie he was he was uh, likening it to, but it was like Pikmin Three is has been the most honest war game that I've played in a long time because it's like. I really feel like I'm throwing these poor little creatures into, into the meat, into the meat wow, yeah. and I have to live with the decisions that, I, you know, I'm their commander and they're trusting me with their lives and I'm making these decisions that get some of them killed. And they're the perfect soldiers. Yeah. And they, they really are just obedient little, little dudes that'll just march into the fire for you or whatever. Um, so that was what he wrote about Pikmin three, 10 years ago. And then, yeah, he was, he was, he, he was playing Pikmin four and being like, Oh yeah, like Pikmin, it's way gentler. Like you can actually get through it. I, he might have actually completed that game without losing a single Pikmin once he realized that that was possible. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and coming from the first two games, where, where like 
it is, I, I guess it is possible. We watched a speed run, uh, a, a no dead Pikmin speed run of, of the first game uh, for GameCube. Yeah. And so that is possible, but like it wouldn't really occur to you to do that normally because yeah, like the game is. Yeah, that would be, that would be an extreme challenge run. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And it was very impressive to watch, like just very tight management. But yeah, uh, so yeah, no, no, no souls leaving there. But, uh, but yeah, Pikmin 3 is definitely gentler. From what I saw, Sager playing four. of it. Four, oh, yeah. so four, yes, rather. So, what what is this like structurally? Like, I played, I loved Pikmin one. I loved like the the open world nature of it, and I loved like the. Um, I even for some reason enjoyed like the 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 timer, like the like in a lot of games I don't like this sort of thing, but in Pikmin one, it re- I really enjoyed like this the the pressure of like trying to get everything I needed to do done by the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Pikmin Pikmin 2 did this other thing where like you, if I remember right, you go, most of the game takes place in like a linear dungeon crawl where there's no timer. Is that right? Yeah, that sounds right. There's some similar, like clearly 4 has like iterated on like a lot of the elements from like previously in the series. But I think the majority of them you are in this kind of like overworld where there's like a timer based on like, like time passes over the course of the day. I don't think there's like a limit of the number of days you have to complete like the main storyline in. That's probably for the best. And then there are also like those little dungeons you jump into um, that don't in in most cases do not have a time limit. And then they added a couple of like other modes in the game or like there are themes to some of the dungeons where like one's like a Dandori challenge and like frequently those will have like a timer and you have to complete a certain number of tasks that you figure out over the course of exploring the dungeon. And then there's also like Dandori battle where like, there's another person who also has the Pikmin and like, you're butting against them for some reason. And you're trying to like race a clock and get more stuff back to your onion Uh or whatever it is. And then additionally, like later in the, like in about like the third act of the game, you kind of find Ulamar and Olimar is like reminiscing and you can kind of replay from Olimar's perspective a separate mission that seems like it's mechanically very similar to Pikmin 1. Like it has tighter timers. You and there's a, a day limit. There's a day limit. Yeah, yeah. Um, the monsters come out at night and gruffle your Pikmin if you've abandoned them. Yeah, so it, it seems like it's just a big smorgasbord of, of so different like, kinds of things. It sounds like there's a lot of stuff there. There's yeah. a lot, a lot of stuff. One of the recurring complaints I've seen about it is just it doesn't really let, if you decide you like one of those things a lot, you can't really just like dive in and do lots of that all at once. Yeah, that's too bad. Kind of like all scattered around. So unless you've like collected all the, like once there's a little hub where like all your friends are hanging out where you can kind of like revisit like just the Dandori battles or like just the the challenges or like replay a level but you kind of have to like get through most of the game before you can really like comfortably be like I'm just going to settle into this one game mode now. Right. But yeah. Uh are we ready for another topic? Sure. Sure. Uh my topic is you're supposed to use a spacer with inhalers now. The the concept of an inhaler, I guess, I first encountered it in the Goonies. Oh, yeah. Sean Astin has asthma or something, and whenever he gets out of breath or, like, gets an anxiety attack, he will, like, stick this thing in his mouth and push down on it and breathe in the the medicine. And then it's a big, like, character moment where 
at the end of the movie, he decided he's outgrown his inhaler. Mm. He doesn't. He doesn't need his medicine doesn't anymore. Have, does, doesn't. Yeah, doesn't have asthma anymore. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, but apparently, we've been doing it wrong for decades because yeah. when I recently got uh, an inhaler for a persistent cough I had after after a fluid-like thing, uh, it came with this like big plastic cylinder, like the size of a breath. Mm-hmm. You put one end of the cylinder in your mouth and you put the other end of the cylinder in the inhaler. You push the thing on the inhaler, which then sprays medicine into the big plastic cylinder. And then you're supposed to inhale from the cylinder. And I don't know what the difference is, but this is better somehow. And one of the things that drives me nuts about this is that if you inhale too quickly, it plays a delightful musical tone. (laughs) It's like the the idea that they will make it play the delightful noise when you do it wrong that's that's what our designers decided delightful noise mine just kind of sounds like a whoopee cushion which which is a little more shameful that's that's smart that's a (laughs) smart design choice the audio iconography is uh look at this dickhead (laughs) i think the reasoning behind that i mean the, the part that's like kind of embarrassing and i think jp has made this joke once while i was actively using it it's basically like a bong for your inhaler like Okay. It just makes it yeah, bong is more effective for, for a lot of the same inhalants. reasons. But I think the other main thing that's different between like a smoked substance and like the way inhalers work is like it's creating a mist. And when you have it directly in your mouth, most of that mist winds up like in your mouth and on your tongue and in your throat instead of in your lungs. Oh, you don't you don't breathe your tongue in. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's like the medicine just gets stuck to all these other physical surfaces between the air and your bronchial tubes or whatever part of your respiratory system needs it. Where the medicine needs to go. Yeah. And then and then you're more likely to like swallow the medication, which actually like a lot of the medications that target your lungs also target can target um, like the heart and like similar wiring so like if it ends up like in if you swallow it instead of breathing it it ends up in your stomach and you get more of like a systemic reaction and you'll get like gnarlier side effects and less of the benefit it's just finding a way to get more of the actual medicine into your lungs instead of into your mouth and especially in the case where like those inhalers are like steroid based it it can like kill off the good bacteria in your mouth or like give you like a yeast infection so it's it's like good to just keep the medicine out of the places where you don't want it to be and get as much of it as possible into the places you do now is this something that like you could have really good technique and just absolutely yeah okay and I think like there is such a thing as good technique without the spacer, but the number of people who like actually, I think they like did studies and it's like 5% of people are using their inhaler correctly. And okay. it's both like mm-hmm. expensive in the short term because like inhalers are not cheap. It's expensive in the long term because you're not like properly controlling whatever you need the inhaler for. Right. Yeah. And then also maybe you're making yourself more sick by having more doses of this medication like systemically in your body than just in the places just in your lungs yeah and yeah i think i first got a spacer like maybe four years ago but yeah it's 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 like embarrassingly late to the game we've been using inhalers for decades and 
And I think the other main change in inhalers was they used to use chlorofluorocarbons, which were banned like in the 90s. And now oh, they use yeah, the things that were messing up the ozone layer. Propellant. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, so they just recently figured out how to. That re- I think that was like a decade or two ago at this point, but they that was just another major change in inhaler technology. Okay. Happy to have this new information about why the heck they sent me this plastic cylinder. I want one. I want the one that sounds like a whoopee cushion, though. I know. I I might be able to. Do we want some live audio of? Oh my goodness! <laughs> yes, we'll use it as the the topic separator. Outstanding. <laughs> They're fetching the the inhaler. Okay, cool. That one sounded more like an accordion. Yeah, it was like a little harmonica. <laughs> Sometimes, depending on what's in there, I think there needs to be like I didn't want to actually use the medicine. But I think when there's more pressure in the chamber, it really does sound like a whoopee cushion. Okay. But yeah, that was more like a little harmonica. I don't think it, it didn't come across on the audio. Yeah, it might sound too much like background noise. Zoom definitely pretty aggressively cancels out sounds yeah. that don't sound like talking. Yep. Yeah, which is one of the reasons that I am I'm using this new technology instead of just asking everybody to record locally is because... Yeah, they put a bunch of programmer time into making conference calls sound good. Yeah. So why why shouldn't I piggyback off of that? I got right up into the mic, so if you did not hear it, it's Zoom. But yeah, Zoom, Zoom. What are you doing? Happy to record a voice note or something. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of like game dev audio reviews are probably completely screwed over Zoom because they probably involve a lot of you know just sounds being completely canceled out. This also right. has some like aggressive branding. The Respironics Opti Chamber Diamond. Oh Op- yeah. <laughs> Opti Chamber Diamond. Yeah, yeah. If if there are any like jingles, if it plays like the if, if the Mentos jingle plays in the background, that's definitely <laughs> coming through. Yeah. The Breathmaker. Right. Or like in the Intel four note thing. Or the oh, Windows yeah. window Windows startup sound, perhaps. Yeah. Any anything that sounds like branding. Are we uh, ready for another topic? I feel like we've spent a bunch of time on these topics, and I, I feel like we could skip the poem if we want to get to the other topics. What do you think? That's up to you. Yeah, I'm good. All right, let's do the let's do the Apple topic instead. Cool. I yeah, just like update from my first topic, Lords. When I was very hyped to try a new Apple. Yeah. This aggressive advertising campaign for the Cosmic Crisp. Yeah. Reading a little more into it, like a whole bunch of like farmers like pooled their money together to make this massive ad campaign to convince people to grow this one variety of apple. So I think it's supposed to be like resistant to like certain types of pests, but it's like it's not just this one company went like aggro about their new apple. It's like farmers on some scale decided jointly that they would kind of Go in on this app. Yeah, this is the new hotness. So anyway, I was in uh, San Francisco, got an H-Mart in the last couple of years, which was very exciting. And I finally went on my birthday (laughs) to the H-Mart. And I'd only ever been to H-Marts on the East Coast. And so when any big chain comes to San Francisco, it's always like a small, like physically small, condensed version of that. Anyway, their produce section was kind of like haphazard. And when I walked in, the apples were just kind of like in a heap all together. Like they were 
labeled like you would expect in like discrete sections but they were really it was just heap sort of all the apples <laughs> and i saw that cosmic crisp was one of the labels so i'm i'm there trying not to touch the apples and i found like one i found two one was no longer viable as food and the other one was like good enough that i was excited to just try it and i think in the end it was like jp had some too it was it was fine but it was probably not like yeah the premier specimen of this apple type so of the cosmic crisp I, yeah. I definitely am still on the lookout and i think it's become much more widely like it's not just in washington state anymore it's i think it's nationally distributed yeah now. i feel like i found a cosmic crisp at safeway like right after launch like on okay launch week or whatever hmm. uh and it was it was you gotta launch cosmic crisp it was fine with you know ps2 backwards compatibility it's like it was fine yeah. yeah i don't feel that it's ever gonna live up to the hype yeah yeah i think uh, right whereas if you had just yeah it's almost like there are certain types of things that you don't want to hype you just want them to appear unremarkable and then people are sort of surprised at like Oh yeah, this is actually like yeah. pretty good. They were like, it's pretty darn good. Let's get some more of these next time. If they were much yeah. more like, look, farmers as a whole are are starting to like put more of their their time into this particular kind of apple for these reasons that will be good long term. Yeah. Instead of like this apple is going to change everything. Like <laughs> now I'm curious to dig up the the original marketing materials because <laughs> this apple is going to make you its bitch. <laughs> yeah. Oh lordy. Mm. The the I remember there being like a fair amount of buzz around the the Honeycrisp. That's real. That's also that's a good apple. It is. It's a very good that apple. That one came from like Minnesota, and that was just like possibly decades of like just apple research and grafting and just creating an apple that has both good texture and flavor. Yeah, and I think that's still my favorite apple. For a long time, it was like. Granny Smith was the best apple I could get in like the 80s and 90s. Yeah, back during the heyday of Red Delicious, I, I Granny Smith was just a lot of bad mealy apples in the 80s and 90s. Totally, yeah. And apples yeah. being just okay. Yeah. And then Honeycrisp kind of changed the apple game for me. Well, and I think, yeah, I think also like Fuji's and Galas became, you started seeing yeah. those in stores more. And then, yeah, Honeycrisp was sort of like the best of that. Apple. Yeah, and and... Now that now that my standards have risen so much for like <laughs> I was never really an apple person, but the Honeycrisp really is like that's a that's a solid Absolutely. That's, a, that's a good yeah. snack. Yeah. Uh and that may be why the the Cosmic Crisp didn't really rock my world, is that like mm -hmm. it's it's you know, it's it's maybe a little bit less good than the Honeycrisp, which is still pretty good. Yeah. Come Same. up to can you best not miss. <laughs> it's right. <laughs> we should have more fruit topics on this show. Yeah, yeah, good. some uh, yeah, some banana topics, orange topics. Oh yeah, we 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 have we've talked plenty about bananas. Maybe not that one. Yeah, yeah, the yeah bananas do have their own their own lore. That's true. Yeah, the banana lore. <laughs> anybody anybody who's tried the MiamiFruit.org banana box, you're, you can come on the show and talk about it. Any human is welcome. I'm not familiar with this. Oh, uh, well, okay. Let's not. I've talked about this enough on the show, okay. but if you go to miamifruit.org, you will find uh, a selection of fruit that you can order from Miami and they'll ship it to you. Okay. Uh, and I, I guarantee you're going to find a box of fruit that you're going to want and it's going to be way too expensive. <laughs> yeah. Like, like this, 
I grew up in Miami, so like one, the fruit there is delicious and it's hard to find outside of like the Caribbean. But yeah, I'm not going to pay to ship it to me. Yeah, yeah. If if you, I mean, I think it would make a good like birthday present or something like that, you know. But one of the things they let you do is you can subscribe to the, you know, you can subscribe to this enormously expensive box of fruit mm. and get get it weekly or whatever. On their main page, as seen in Snopes, is like a pretty good <laughs> endorsement. Oh man, verified not bullshit fruit. Very right. good. This these are fine. These are fine fruits. Well, listen, I'm not from Miami, so this is all very exciting for me. These they're good fruits. They're just yeah, they're exorbitantly expensive. Well, it's just the shipping, I'm sure, or mostly probably yeah to keep it. Even halfway intact. Right. Are we ready for another topic? Sure. Let's do it. JP, your topic is questions for a more experienced musician about learning to play piano and songwriting. Yeah, this was, um, so, uh, God, it was like six or seven years ago now. Um, I got, uh, as a gift, um, a, uh, it's an M audio key station 61, which I sort of found out, like just people recommended it to me as like, it's a compute, it's a keyboard. It's a, piano keyboard that you can plug into a computer and just do whatever with, you know, I didn't need like built-in synths or anything. Yeah. Yeah. I started playing guitar back in college. I've never been particularly good or anything, but like I kind of reached like a level of, you know, knowing enough, you know, to like be able to look at uh, tablature or to a way lesser extent sheet music, but usually just tablature and stuff and like get the gist of a song and be able to do my own thing with it, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, just like over the years, that's been, a, you know, a source of happiness and just, yeah, it's cool. It's cool to be able to, to plunk out a song on guitar and sing with it and whatever. Um, and, you know, and so, yeah, and I was always like, okay, well, yeah, like a whole bunch of people, I, I know a bunch of cool people who make music and stuff. And a lot of them like use keyboards either for like actual composing or they just play the piano or whatever would have been like 2016 or something um and like i plugged it in and kind of just you know got it like getting it to make getting it into my computer and making sounds and stuff was no problem but i sort of like i didn't really know how to proceed from there like i looked at a few different like learn to play kind of things and just none of it particularly like seemed like something that was just enjoyable to do or something i could stick with you know and i guess it's i don't have like particular expectations about like what that process of learning should be like but yeah so i don't know i mean yeah like i i, I know that you're yeah you're you're definitely more musical than than me and you know you, you've you've actually like composed stuff before and yeah i was just kind of wondering if you had i mean just in case your answer is useful to more people than just me <laughs> right um, yeah but uh yeah I'm, I'm curious as to like yeah what how you like i mean a how you learned when you learned whenever that was and uh also yeah just like yeah because i'm i am interested in like learning to play songs and and you know existing songs and stuff but also yeah like i've never figured out sort of like my own process for like actually composing and like writing songs and i realize that's a whole other craft separate from any instrument to some extent but, yeah um, it's, a, it's a different skill for sure it never sort of like all clicked I don't know. Did yeah. you learn to play guitar more by ear or more by like, how did you learn guitar? Uh, I had like, I, I think I got a book and it yeah. had like, you know, it, it had like some basic Pierre technique chord. and stuff. Yeah. And then, it, yeah, it had like some big chord charts and stuff explained like 
scales and you know some music theory concepts of which i've pretty much forgotten all of that but like it, it was definitely a useful thing and yeah that would have been back in like college or something and then from that point i was like okay yeah like i can i'm kind of off to the races and again you know i, I never like put enough time into it to be like actively good you know i can't like shred or anything but like you know i can figure my way i, I can figure out you know different songs and stuff so anyway, that's that's my question. But yeah, I'm curious the, as to what you one mean. other additional piece of information is like when we got the key station, I did get the little MIDI adapter that lets it like plug into rock band and rocksmith. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like learning. Yeah. Like I, I did that. I have very small hands, so it's not comfortable for me to play piano. But like those I, I thought those were effective, like really basic key stuff. So so I'm I, I have composed in the past. Uh, I still do occasionally, but I've never really got super good playing an instrument, but I think I can still speak to this because I have, I'm kind of in the middle of a lifelong learning process now. Like when I was, yeah. you know, in my teens and early twenties, I definitely had like a guitar and a piano in the house. Mm -hmm. So, and I would pick up, pick them up and noodle with them. And I never really felt like I got anywhere. And I think part of this was probably like just I was discouraged and didn't put the time in. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, a lot of it, I think, was that I was kind of when it, when I came to it again later in life. Oh, I've got a piano in the house again. I could sit down and noodle with it. Or the same thing with the guitar. I found that I was able to much more rapidly approach something that I thought was playing something interesting by deliberately applying what I knew about music theory. Mm -hmm. So I might actually like start there start with like the idea of scales and basic chord progressions and not like not like playing and practicing scales because that's dull as heck but just not like being cognizant of like either i have this melody in my head or i just have a scale that i want to play in in my head you find it in a in a key on the piano where you're comfortable playing so like most of the stuff most of the time when i'm noodling i'm noodling in c you know c major Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the problem that I had as a kid was that was when I was I would sit down and try to play what was in my head and I would play it in the key that was in my head, which was not a key, a, a key that was friendly to conducive to like learning uh, or yeah. playing well. Yeah, yeah. But if I transpose it to C, suddenly I can play it pretty well most of the time. Mm -hmm. And I can also back it up with like because I know how to play some uh, uh, some basic chords uh, in that in, in C. Mm -hmm. And I, I found uh, that I was much more rapidly when I approached it that way, much more rapidly able to like get, I'm getting this instrument to produce noises that I think are like are, are nice music. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The other thing that helped me a lot with guitar was just being extremely consistent with practicing. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't even practicing that much. Yeah. Like what was happening was that I, I picked up the guitar like during Winston's bedtime. Mm -hmm. Like we would sing songs to him and I just decided, oh, I'm going to throw the guitar in here. And that actually meant I had never gotten to the point where I could strum a pattern and sing at the same time. Oh, sure. Yeah. But, you know, I was able to do that after like a week or two of like mm -hmm. 15 minutes mm -hmm. a day. And it wasn't that big a deal. And just noodling around um, during story time when, when April's reading him books, again, 15 minutes a day mm -hmm. is, is mm -hmm. apparently enough mm -hmm. to like yep. yeah. to get uh, a decent – like I can – I can play things on purpose that sound good now. It's pretty cool. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. My my story with the guitar is a little similar. Um, I I think I got my first. Uh, I got I got an electric guitar from a from a college girlfriend. Uh, back at yeah, back at back at SCAD, and um, and I and I learned some of the basics on that. But um, about a year after that, I got an a cheap acoustic guitar for Christmas from my parents. One year, I was still in college. Um, and I took it back to Savannah with me and, uh, half-life, the, the original half-life had just come out. And so I was like learning that kind of stuff. And I was like, well, I really want to make, I've made doom and quake maps, but I really want to make half-life maps in those days. He says, you know, in pure old man style, but yeah, like, uh, do making maps for those games involved compile, like before, like you would make changes in the editor and then you would have to compile your map. Yeah. And if you wanted to do like, and if you were finalizing things like lighting or whatever, you know, you'd, you'd be, you'd have real downtime while you were, you know, it was like waiting for your code to compile basically. Um, you know, and I didn't, I didn't have a particularly fast computer uh, at, at the time. Having the guitar right next to my desk and playing during those bits of downtime when I, you know, when I could, I could open up like some tablature or something in notepad, you know, my system had just enough CPU, <laughs> you know, uh, remaining that I could do that. Yeah. Yeah. And so my, my, my playing really, you know, got better over the course of like those years that, that I was waiting, right? Um, that I was, that I had like this sort of built in downtime as part of another creative process. And that, that, yeah, that ended up being pretty cool. Yeah. And it, it really, yeah. Like it really did only take like a week or so to like learn how to, how to play and sing. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, this is probably just as much about like my own, setup and stuff like just having the key the guitar is like it sort of like sits vertically and so you can kind of like keep it off to the side and then just reach for it whereas the piano you kind of have to like rotate your whole chair to uh <laughs> yeah. you know to be able to use it. It, it it's a little more modal with whatever you're doing it's like i am going to now focus my attention and commit to playing this mm-hmm. thing everything that you said is 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 really useful and good uh it's like yeah like learning brush up on music theory and learn enough about that to uh i mean are, are there any uh, are there any accessible off the top of your head are there any like particularly accessible uh, texts uh, whether it's something online or or whatever on music theory let me try to find i think i feel like i've also like come across a lot of just good random youtube channels that go like real deep into i mean i realize real deep is not really where you want to start but i'm sure they also have starting yeah yeah stuff. uh edley's music theory for practical people mm. edley's music theory for practical people edly edley oh. um it's a book that i actually read it i don't know 2010 or something like that at, at which point i had already kind of picked all this stuff up from other sources just like from talking to people or from reading various websites and such, but like coming at it from a, someone who already knows the stuff, I thought it was a good primer, cool. very easy to approach and, and pretty, um, not, I, I, I was going to say comprehensive, but like, there's no such thing as comprehensive, like music oh, sure, theory, yeah. just like, I, it just I keeps going. Something like that. Yeah. 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 No, that sounds, per- that sounds perfect. Yeah. So I think a little bit of that learning, I mean, you know, cause that, that'll also sort of like, you know, spark my, creative or intellectual curiosity yeah. somewhat is edley some adorable cartoon dinosaur uh well there is a green goblin looking guy on the cover that's incredible oh nice okay all right so yeah it has a little animal a little creature mascot as well yeah bonus yeah sold Th- thank you for that answer and i i i knew you'd be a good person to ask for for one reason or another but i think this is also just like 
I'm not going to make any progress on learning it or or doing anything with it unless I make some unless I put it within reach and kind of make space for it in my life. Yeah. And that was another thing that I had back in college when I was learning guitar. It's like, yeah, I had my computer and then off to one side I had my guitar on a little stand and you, you still have that. And I was yeah, and I, yeah, and I still have the guitar there, so yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope that help, hope that helps if not you then somebody. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe somebody else is at a different point in the, the process or something. So, Right. Uh, are you ready for another topic? Sure. Yeah. Uh, my topic is how do we teach our children to pirate? Uh, this was something that came up a few months ago. There was a study that was done. I think it was done by the Video Game History Foundation that I think something like 8% of video games released before 2011, something like that, are still available now. Mm-hmm. This study was done with with the intent of like uh, using it to change copyright law mm-hmm. or or maybe like specifically like how to handle exceptions to the DMCA or something like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But my reaction to this was more like, OK, the, the, the real problem here is that kids today don't know how to pirate. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I've, I've, I've heard this before. Yeah. It's like it's like, yeah, our our generation and then. Folk, uh, folks to the younger end of that range knew how to pirate stuff, and I actually, don't, I, I actually don't even know how demographically, just like in actuality, I, I feel like I don't know how common it is. Pretty squarely in like the conversations that parents have to have with their kids around like just internet safety and like information mm. safety, because like as trusting the sources or protecting yourself from like the scuzzy websites where you can pirate stuff, like. Yeah, is a big part of that, and that yeah. kind of goes r- along with like trusting the info, like sources of information in general, which is a really good skill to develop. Yeah, definitely, and yeah, like it, it does mean the difference between like yeah, just down, like even downloading just totally legitimate software or something. Mm-hmm. My dad was asking recently about digitizing CDs. You know, like still still having a few CDs left over and maybe wanting to digitize some. You know, and, and he's running Windows. So I was like, man, I'll bet that there is a good CD ripping program for Windows out there that doesn't cost money. You know, it's like a good open. There's got to be there's got to be a good open source CD ripping program out there. Whereas if but if you search if you search for any kind of software nowadays, Google has become so polluted, you know, like mm-hmm. web search in general. But it, but Google especially has become so polluted with scams and malware and stuff. And they they apparently have just completely given up on the quality of their product um yeah it's really you know, shocking. And also scammers are very determined and we are currently living through a golden age of scams um if if you're a windows user you're very likely to be pointed towards a you know something that might be the software you're looking for but with additional malware added yeah. it's going to like fucking steal your credit card number or like mine bitcoin or some shit you know right uh, the the one you want is cdex yes. cdex yeah Oh, oh, that CDEX that's still around. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah. It seems yeah, like sorry, it. Yeah. Actually, that's a great point. I haven't used it in like ten years. For all I know, it's shitty now. For all I know, it's just full of malware. Oh god, just, yeah, that would be heartbreaking. But, fine. but probably oldversion.com or whatever. Yeah. If that still exists, that's another site that I haven't used in like <laughs> ten plus years or something. Yeah. So like, yeah, I switched to Linux around two thousand six, and after that point, it's like, okay, well, all the software that I get is either from the system is either from the os oh, man, package. I, didn't, I didn't know about oldversion.com. that's incredible look at this yeah 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 that that's definitely good because i think they also host like game patches and stuff 
So it's yeah. like, oh yeah, like I need a particular version of Unreal Tournament or something. I'm, I think this is this is kind of true to, the, to to some extent with Mac as well, just because like the software there comes from fewer sources that are kind of more reputable, and there's just way fewer users. So it's just not this wild west of scammers who like are depending on there being millions of non-technical people that they can just hoodwink and get to download their malware or whatever. Right. CDX has a stable release from 2020. All right. Yeah. 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 Dope. Yeah, no, CDEX was, yeah, like b- back before, like I bread and b- butter. back when I was still using Windows, that yeah. that is, a, well, I, I think I ripped all of my CDs in like 2002 and three or so with uh, exact audio copy, but I think CDEX was a, was a competing program at the time, and it was also good or something. So yeah, I'll, I'll track that down. Yeah, so my, 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 as far as learning how to pirate specifically, I have another adjacent boring old man story from <laughs> that, those, that exact same time when I was in art school. Half-Life 1 had just come out. I wanted to make maps for it. I was so so I had I had downtime waiting for maps to compile. The other thing that I had downtime on the computer for was so I was I was uh, I was part of uh, Savannah College of Art and Design's uh, computer art department uh, shortly before it it sort of split into like 3D animation, 2D animation, uh, web design. There were just different majors. And yeah, like it's weird to think of web design as like a major now, but I, the computer lab there had like um it still had a it still had some SGIs, you know, where you could use like the the Unix version of like Maya and whatever. But then it also had like these sort of new spiffy like NT workstations. Um but there were always lines for those things, you know, so you would have to like to be able to work on your project, you would keep it on a zip disk or something. <laughs> and you would like have to just kind of get in line. And I was like, man, I have this gaming computer that I built with like summer job money that has like a Riva TNT card in it. And like that, I've seen what that thing can do from playing Half-Life. So I'll bet I could run Softimage and Maya and 3D Studio Max, you know, which was like only on its mm-hmm. first or second version um, after the the migration from DOS. And so basically I learned how to, how to wares, <laughs> wares, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that was my, that was my introduction into that. And yeah. And so I just in my dial up connection in my apartment in Savannah, uh at like not even 56k it was probably getting like 32k in practice but anyway yeah i just sort of like found out how to like find websites that were you know and there wasn't like a ton there wasn't nearly there were definitely some viruses and trojans and stuff out there but like it wasn't quite as overrun with that stuff and so yeah i would find like you know ftps basically that were hosting sometimes fairly short term that were hosting copies of these like multi-thousand dollar programs that I would have have otherwise been completely dependent on the computer labs for. But this way I could download. Yeah. And so I pirated Softimage. I hope the statute of limitations on this crime has has passed after 25 years. Uh, But yeah, I pirated um, 3D Studio Max, Maya and Softimage, which there were, I was taking a class in each of those, you know, over the, over the course of, I don't know, freshman and junior year. And yeah, and just kind of found my way around the late 90s where's underworld to find like, you know, cop- and I'll, you know, you can get Photoshop that way, Adobe Premiere, Adobe After Effects. So I actually learned a ton of software just from pirating the heck out of like all these random bits of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's how it works. You, the next generation of, of Photoshop users trains on the, previous generation of pirated software 
but yeah, I mean, and, and then, you know, bit, bit, bit torrent was obviously like a huge, you know, was just a watershed because it made it just much easier to distribute stuff. You know, you know, you were no longer dependent on the good graces of some random guy running an FTP with a bunch of pirated stuff that he could probably get busted for pretty easily. You know, like if the right. feds were like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, this one guy is disseminated like 10,000 copies of soft homage and like, yeah, whatever litigious company that once can, uh, whereas yeah, BitTorrent, uh, yeah, BitTorrent, yeah. you know, is definitely way like solve the distribution thing. But then, yeah, as far as like where to find good, safe BitTorrents, mm-hmm. I don't even know, man. I mean, yeah, like during the 2000s, I used the Pirate Bay, you know, and it would get shut down sometimes. Pirate Bay is still around. I don't know if it's still good. There there are certain, I won't name them, but there are certain (laughs) streaming services that we refuse to give our money to. uh, (laughs) And sometimes, you know, I I generally just kind of want to like opt out of something like that. But it's like, okay, well, we do want to watch this thing. And this company that we are quote unquote stealing from has more money than God. So I just also, like, frequently, don't really feel too bad about it. Uh, like, but, yeah. That you own a physical copy of. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, totally. You yeah. no longer have yeah. the hardware to yeah. run that. Physical yeah. I have media. this on DVD, like, but I that, purchased this five. That DVD places. is buried like, you know, and yeah. deep in a closet, you know, just like, yeah, nine layers deep in a, in, in the closet or something. Yeah. My, my, I, I want to rewatch Babylon five, but my DVDs are just like, you know, it would take it would take me like, like fifty minutes of digging to to find them. So all up and not have to change the CD. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you want the right because yeah, that's the thing. I mean, with a lot of media, um, you know, like yeah, piracy is the is far and away the more frictionless, pause. easy experience. Yeah, and you know, and yeah, and especially like the way that uh, the the TV that streaming services have just completely screwed up the viewing experience where like mm-hmm. as soon as an episode ends wham speed through the credits at fast time. forward and autoplay the next bullshit and it's like or 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 if you unwind. or if you just finished a a, 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 a a series we're gonna throw something that you didn't even ask for at you like just they have not done themselves any favors and like yeah, that stuff's baffling too because like it's not like they're you're paying them by the episode yeah no right yeah exactly by the month usually yeah yeah no i mean just like as far as i can tell companies like netflix and stuff they have tech brain and they just think you know they have these metrics that 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 they use to like quantify their success and that has completely hollowed out their thinking as far as like how to make a service that people want to use and it's resulted in shit like you know binge watching which you know i think people would do anyway if they if they could but like like the fact that they deliberately encourage that as a practice Mm -hmm. has always seemed like completely like self-destructive and just you know and like kind of harmful and weird to others it's like oh why are you encouraging people to to binge something like and i don't know yeah there's just so many weird things about it that's like okay well this doesn't, and also just yeah, the fact that those business models aren't actually sustainable. They're currently being, you know, whooped by, you know, the 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 strikers. Uh, you know, God help them. Hopefully, they'll get what they're asking for and all that. So yeah, just like, yep. yeah. I mean, games are a different matter. Like as soon as I got a job in the game industry, I stopped pirating stuff. You know, um, yeah. I'm, I'm sort that that maybe I'm sort of selectively applying my morality a little there. But it's really just like, yeah, like I, cause I, you know, I had pirated stuff through college when I 
didn't have a whole lot of money to spend, you know, like I, I would only buy, I would buy the stuff that I really, really cared about and wanted to support. Like, you know, I got Grim Fandango on launch day and stuff, but, um, but yeah, like once I got a job in the game industry, I was like, I cool. I can, I can buy whatever games I want now. This is with my paycheck. This is pretty awesome. I just don't have any time to play them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I've, I've never really like been a doer of game piracy since, you know, since the late nineties, you know, and it's like, oh, well, yeah, that, that shouldn't be necessary. Right. Because I mean, truly something like steam is like, you know, easy enough that like it, it kind of matches the convenience of pirating something, except that you have to spend money. And uh... yeah, no, I think that's a big deal. And like for a while, it seemed like Netflix was heading in that direction too, until, mm -hmm. you know, until like you, once you realize that like Netflix uh, streaming doesn't just add programs, it also loses them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And that, yeah. And right. And what that's turned into is yeah, just companies like setting things that they made on fire for tax purposes or whatever. <laughs> Ridiculous. Or just, yeah. Or just yeah, just sort of yoinking it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and 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 the modern console stuff where, you know, they're sort of increasingly like playing this exclusivity game where mm -hmm. it's like, we have these exclusives, they have those exclusives. And like it's like, man, this is not doing us any favors. And like you're not treating this like a medium. You know, a medium is something where you can like access its history. You can go to the library and you get a movie on Blu-ray and that's the industry standard format. And you don't have to worry about owning different pieces of hardware that give you access to different works or something, you know? I mean, yeah. you know, th there are plenty of movies that, you know, don't have good Blu-ray releases, for instance. People accept that that more widely that that's a problem. It's like, oh yeah, this doesn't have a Blu-ray release it seems like it's kind of in danger of becoming a forgotten film or something. And then, you know, and then oftentimes it does get a, a nice modern release. It gets like a restoration or something. And then it's sort of like back in cultural consciousness. And that's, that's like a cool thing to do. And right. the fact that we have so many technological things standing in the way. The movies that less people care about, they, mm -hmm. they go up on archive.org. Basically corporations have, have proven that they are not responsible custodians of culture Mm -hmm. And that we need piracy as a fallback, if nothing right. else, because yeah, like otherwise, a Maybe whole bunch of works, a, a whole bunch of works are just going to perish, you know, um, you know, and because those same corporations have also like, you know, mutated copyright law according to their to their whims, so that you know, the copyrights, you know, still hold Very even true. after yeah. There's definitely like a negative pirate stereotype of like. A total cheapskate who has plenty of money but just doesn't want to pay for stuff and just wants to get everything for free, you know, and is just never going to pay for anything. And like those those folks are lost sales anyway. Like, you know, mm -hmm. you can't sorry, they, they are not lost sales. I do not believe that most people who pirate a video game would have bought it at full price yeah, or whatever. Yeah, they just, they, yeah, they, they would just have, yeah, because maybe they don't even own the hardware necessary to play it in the case of games. So, yeah, I, I you know, and obviously the, the, the corporations are, are sort of motivated to be like every single pirated thing is, if something has a million downloads on Pirate Bay, that's a million lost sales and we can, mm -mm. we can make that a concrete dollar value and then go after people as if they had robbed us of that with a... <laughs> with a ski mask and, and a knife. <laughs> and clearly it's not like that, you know? Yeah. I do think like public opinion is turning on this, which might or might not matter with, um, you know, the whole regulatory capture thing. 
that's going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely very cool to see the the level of support that the uh, that the actors and writers mm-hmm. guilds have have gotten. That's pretty cool because it's like okay, yeah, like people sort of understand people understand the power dynamic here, and they understand that those creative people are the ones who are really where their favorite TV shows and movies and stuff come from, mm-hmm. and all this other stuff is sort of you know in some cases like just actively sucking the juice out of the medium. Yeah. And locking it up for for random business reasons. It does seem good that public sentiment is is changing in a good way because I, it wouldn't necessarily be inherently positive if just everybody was like, oh, everybody like piracy has become mainstreaming now, has become mainstream now. You know, there could be negative repercussions of that in in various ways, but like, but the fact that people sort of understand the power dynamic there of like, okay. Some stuff like copyright is a thing. Copyright is a legal institution that's been sort of manipulated in weird ways that ultimately don't benefit creators. They benefit these people who have kind of like Monopolies. interposed themselves between the rest of society and creative work. <laughs> and it's like, okay, I want to support the crea- you know, I think I think probably most people do want to support mm-hmm. creators. It's just that like platform capitalism is all about making that as annoying and parasitic a process as possible (laughs) for the few companies that control those platforms. I mean, also, yeah, there's also like that angle that you mentioned, Steiger, of like knowing like the meta skill of learning how much to trust a given website Mm -hmm. that you might find yourself on is like, that's incredibly valuable. Yeah. Because even if you have no intention of pirating anything, yeah, it's like you end up on a site and you're like, okay, this is, you know, I'm searching for just like a recipe or something. Oh, wait, this is AI generated bull. This is large language model (laughs) bullshit. And it's probably going to get more and more subtle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's already getting like tough to tell in some cases. Yeah, it's actively getting worse. You know, just, yeah, just search results will just be total slurry or whatever. So, yeah. And, you know, and then in other cases, it's like, okay, well, yeah, you're trying to find out something about the news and it's just disinformation is Mm -hmm. 10 times easier to find than than the the real information. So I feel like these are all kind of connected skills, even though even though like, yeah, that's what even though like casual copyright infringement is sort of like, you know, not of a moral good as like finding finding the truth about something or like (laughs) finding things that are helpful to you, like. Information literacy, I guess. Yes. Yeah. One thing that helps is that I think Windows has pretty good anti-malware built in these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. Just that, that whole, yeah, that that, that period. I, I forget what I would have done back in the day. Yeah. In the late 90s when I was just a, a Windows pirate kid, I must have had antivirus but like, yeah, the antivirus industry also just became like a scam Toxic in itself. Girl. It's like, okay, yeah, like these things are now just like... Well, especially like now that it's just part of Windows, what like the only people who are still doing this are people who are like, well, the only our only audience is the people who don't realize it's part of Windows now. Yeah, 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 totally. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, no, I think it's definitely a good thing that it's, yeah, that it's just sort of built into, you know, I, I think it is, it makes sense to make it a function of OSs so that you don't have to like yeah, have this, you don't want to have to create an architecture that gives programs that you're supposed to be trusting access to like the innermost security layers of the operating system. You want that stuff to be built in. Also and probably sort of like earth's more vulnerabilities in your operating system by you not providing that as a first party service. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's, that's clearly, that's clearly what's happened. Yeah. 
Um, and yeah, and like Microsoft clearly like just dragged their feet for like decades on that, you know, before they kind of got their act together. When I do torrent stuff, I never do it from Windows just because I assume any site that I go to is going to be like looking for like sniffing my user agent, my browser user agent being like, oh, a Windows user. Let's throw a whole bunch of like weird, you know, exploits at them or something and see if we can do a drive by download or whatever. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's all the time we have for Topic Lords. Cool. Thank you. Uh, Steiger, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? I am basically, I'm less and less on the internet every time you ask me that question. I'm a ghost. Good for you. Yeah. Pro move. Uh, and JP, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, my website is vectorpoem.com. And that's got, I think like at the top, I've got the surviving websites where I don't mind being found. <laughs> uh, co-host in mastodon i guess uh i have a website that's fine thanks so much for being on yeah yeah, yeah. oh yeah my website i don't think my website will give you any viruses or anything uh <laughs> no, i no. also don't offer any illegal downloads or anything but only legal downloads you can't you can't pirate mr friendly it's free just giving it away it is free yeah it's free on on itch.io on jp.itch.io um I probably do have some sort of like there's probably like one little Daily. doom sprite or something that is copyrighted in a random like wad file that you can download off my website, but that, that that's fine. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think the yeah, you get the dope fish, you know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I have the extracted dope fish from the uh, Commander Keen Four source files. You better watch out. So yeah, have my dead man switch here in case the FBI comes in. <laughs> Thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. This episode was edited by Esper Quinn, who can also edit your episode if you contact them on Twitter. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it, or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com. And you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode!